Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. Hey, Founder Fam, before we dive into another incredible conversation, I want to share something really special with you. Whether you're just joining us or you've been following us since the beginning, you've been a critical part of our community working to change entrepreneurial education. I started Founder almost a decade ago with the mission to provide entrepreneurs access to the world's greatest business leaders. Our goal was to break down barriers to entrepreneurial education, and that's taken us on a journey from Founder Magazine to this podcast and beyond, and today marks the next step in that journey, Founder Plus. I'm proud to introduce you to Founder Plus, which is an all-access pass to each of our online courses and programs and their proven frameworks for success. It puts every strategy we've compiled from world-class instructors at your fingertips while connecting you to a global network of like-minded entrepreneurs. Founder Plus will take your business to the next level for today and tomorrow. So whether you've just joined our family or you've watched us grow from humble beginnings, we're really thrilled to have you join us in this exciting new phase of making the founder brand and this company the world's best entrepreneurial community to launch and grow your business. So finally, before we get into today's episode, I'm inviting you to come back, check out Founder Plus and go to founder.com forward slash membership. I'm really excited, guys. This is an incredible new evolution of entrepreneurial education, and our mission is really to get as many of these founders that we interview to teach and also give back on the Founder Plus platform and really go more in depth with the knowledge and the experiences and the lessons learned that they're sharing all in Founder Plus. So guys, please go check it out if you're enjoying these interviews. That's it from me. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now let's jump in. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amorosa, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, Nathan here. Welcome back to another Founder interview. Today you're in for an absolute treat. We're here in our hometown, Melbourne, Australia, in our studio. We're interviewing Ronnie Teja. Now he's the master of SEO and growing brands really, really fast with SEO. One of his businesses, S-Keep, he's taken from zero to two million monthly unique visitors in about two and a half years. He's got like 10 other brands where he uses SEO to grow them. So the first question that I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job? AKA, how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? Oh, uh, that's an interesting story. Uh, when I moved to Canada, I was picking blueberries for about the first eight months when we immigrated there. 
And I basically learned, so I used to go into these fields at like 4 a.m. in the morning and I used to pick blueberries and I used to cry for about 10 hours when I used to do it because I'd never had a manual job before. So I promised myself uh, when I did this every day that I would never find myself in this position again. And uh, so I taught myself digital marketing and for somehow things have a way of working out and here we are discussing this. Yeah, wow. And so you come from India. How old were you when you went to Canada? So it was about... Uh, 22. So I was doing my master's at London School of Economics. Uh, my background in, is in welfare economics. Yeah. Um, so, you know, working at the World Bank, parents called me, you know, ding, ding. And they're like, hey, look, we won the golden ticket and we're moving out to Canada and you're coming with. So there's no ifs and buts. It's like, you're coming with. And basically that's so ended up in Vancouver, which at that time was quite a small city and uh, there was no jobs in policy. So hence, manual labor. Yep, got you. And why was that so hard for you? Uh, it was hard in the sense that, of course, you you know, you know moved from India to the UK and this I thought UK was my forever place. Uh, I was going to be based in London. I was going to go work there. Uh, didn't, didn't end up working out as we know and then ended up in Vancouver. And then at that point in time, uh, Vancouver being the city it was, there was no jobs in policy. And uh, so as a result, it was just like, you know, I came with a big ego, first of all. Uh, second of all, I was like, you know, I'm from LSE. Anybody would recognize a degree. And uh, so, you know, I was this guy, you know, 22 year old, think he could take over the world and uh, ended up uh, being, uh, you know, humbled, uh, I would say in that in that situation. But having said that, everything else, it's like, if, if it weren't for Canada, I wouldn't have got the start to be an entrepreneur at all. Mm. Yeah. So what was your background in marketing? So you said you, you know, obviously you didn't want to be in this position again. Like, did you just go online and start learning marketing or what happened yeah. when you were 22? So how old are you now? Yeah, I'm about 36. Yep, so okay. the funny story is, you know, the, by the power of Google, I basically started looking up how to do AdWords. And I taught myself uh, digital marketing, which was basically like PPC and AdWords. And I got my first break working at HSBC, which is basically, uh, I, I applied to them and I said, hey, look, and, you know, HSBC being the bank that it was, they said, look, we don't know what this digital marketing thing is. And uh, you, you seem like a young buck who probably knows PPC and all this, these, these fancy like online terms. We don't know how, how long it's going to last. And you come in and you work for us. So I worked there, hated the job. Um, I'm happy to say it because uh, it took about six months to plan one campaign. Um, got my second start again at Best Buy, which is, I think, where I learned digital marketing in its pure essence. So from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. every day, I was trafficking out PPC campaigns, be it Facebook ads, be it Google ads, be it whatever it was. And I got to make a lot of mistakes on somebody else's coin. So that is where, it's a, it's a washing machine, it's a two and a half year washing machine, but I can tell you that particular experience taught me everything, anything I need, needed to know about like say PPC and digital marketing from that perspective. Interesting. So then from Best Buy, what happened next? Uh, basically ended up working uh, for a couple of small e-commerce firms. Uh, and the interesting part about it all, right, is that, I tried for a job. So there's a very big Canadian retailer called Mech, which is basically like REI in the US. And at that point in time, I'd applied for them as a digital marketing director. And they basically turned me down for the job. And I was curious. And I sort of, so I took the guy, guy out for a coffee and I said, hey, look, what is the reason you rejected me for the job? And they basically told me to my face, they said, you're a flight risk. So I said, what do you mean by you're a flight risk? They're like, you change your job every one to two years. So I'm like, so am I supposed to spend the rest of my life in your servitude? for $100,000 a year, or shall I be taking a chance on myself? And I said, I've made all these guys enough money. So I said, the one thing I owe to myself, even if I do fail, is the opportunity to be able to bet on myself. And that's what I did. Mm. So 
How old were you then when you started your first business and what was it? I was about, I was about like 26, 25, 26 around that. Yeah. yeah so about 10 years ago. Yeah. 10 years ago, roughly. And, uh, you know, I read somewhere. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I swear to God, I'm not making this up because everybody seems surprised by this. Is that I read somewhere that the margins on watches are over 80%. <laughs> And I, and I said, okay, this sounds interesting. And, you know, the, this was like when influencers were coming up big and, you know, movement ad, uh, movement watches was a, yeah. was a thing as well. And I said, okay, so where are watches made in the world? Uh, apparently, quartz watches are made in Shenzhen. So I caught the one flight from Vancouver to Hong Kong. It's a $500 flight, right? The world's largest watchmaking fair happens in Hong Kong at HKTDC. Yes. And I basically, every morning from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., I would show up at every booth bug every person out there to learn more about watches. And on about day seven, I found this one guy and he said, I see you coming in every day. You're asking a lot of questions. Do you even know how watches are made? And I said, I have zero clue how watches are made. And he basically, this guy took a chance on me, right? And he says, come live with me in Shenzhen. So basically invites me to his house and I live for free with him for like 30 days, learn the crafts of the trade. And then I have the gall to ask him for a 90 day line of credit. So I said, can you loan me money, like $100,000, and give me a 90 day line credit, which is unheard of if you have a Chinese supplier. There's no way nobody's going to give you that. And especially like a young buck, he says, look, I'll give you, you know, we'll set up a payment plan and we'll give you, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll fund your first run, right? And for whatever powers there may be, whatever savings I had, I put it into this washing machine called Facebook ads, and it has somehow worked out for me. <laughs> like, it's, 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 it's luck, it's chance, it's time and place, but it's also the trust of this human being who I met and has taken that chance on me. And that was Branzio? Yeah, that was Branzio Watches, yes. And so you still run that company now and you still use that supplier? Yes, same one. Yeah, Hasn't wow. changed in 10 years. He's never raised prices on me. It's like it's family. Yeah, wow. And what were the challenges in the early days of starting that business? Oh, there was there was there was a fair few. I think the first run that we did with the watches, uh, we basically had an issue where, when we came up with the logo and the designs and everything else, somebody at that point of time had a Kickstarter with a brand that ex looked exactly like ours. So here we are, a month into the production run, and basically with somebody doing a thirty thousand dollar campaign on Kickstarter with the same logo because Vancouver, you know, it's, it has a couple of mountains in the back, so we basically thought, you know, having two peaks in the back would be a great idea. <laughs> Lo and behold, somebody else had the same goddamn idea. <laughs> so, so you know, we we had a month into a production run, and you know, you see this like Kickstarter campaign, and you're like, oh man, we're screwed. And you know, whatever we said, people were like, you know, it it, it knocks the wind out of you because you you like you put your heart and soul into you know this design and everything else, and then it's 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 all gone. And I said, you know what, let's, let's just give it a go, see what happens. Their Kickstarter failed, ours didn't, it worked out for us, and then basically we were able to scale from there. We said, look, we're just gonna keep running, running the course no matter what happens. Mm -hmm. So that time it was only me as, a, uh, as the sole employee. So my, my name was John, so I was John on customer service because you know, Ron, <laughs> Ronnie had a very thick Indian accent back then. <laughs> Still do, but not as thick. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. So, what were the key stages of growth for Branzio? Like, uh, when did you know you were onto something? You said that you, you know, back then Facebook ads obviously much, much easier back then. Much easier, much cheaper. No iOS 14.5, 14 or 15, as we all know about it. I mean, it's 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 like the one year anniversary of iOS 14 too, as we know. Um, look, 
Facebook ads was working uh, for us in a, in, a, in, a massive, in a massive way, right? It was basically like this washing machine and you put as much money in there. The ROAS was about four to five. It was a barren, barren market, you know, CPMs were like super cheap, 10 bucks or something, which costs us 50 bucks now. Cost per, the cost per acquisition cost for these watches were like 14 bucks for something that we're selling for 150 bucks, yeah. right? So, you know, even if you factor in everything, we were making almost 100% return on, on you know, after, after each sale. Of course, the landscape has sort of changed over, over that period of time, and you have to get more sophisticated with creative and everything else. But what changed from my perspective was actually sort of hiring uh, my first hire and everything else from there on, because six months into it, I burnt out. And, you know, one person can't do the ads, one person can't do customer service, you can't really like please everyone, especially in a D2C business, mm. which is, you know, and manage the supply chain at the same time. So, yeah. Mm. So when did you know you were onto something though? Like when did you go, yep, this business, I'm going to be okay? Ah, so that's an interesting point. I think when I ran, in the first week when I ran the ads campaigns, uh, it was just basically like seeing, so believe it or not, my first market where I launched was actually, I, I used Australia as a test market because people were more, were more open to buying online yes. and they had that sort of trust factor. And when I saw conversion rates of like 8 to 10%, happening in this market and I was like holy hell I'm making a thousand bucks a day it was literally from the get-go and I was like I'm on to something and I just need to scale this no matter what happens but there's a funny story about that too within two weeks of me starting PayPal banned my accounts <gasps> PayPal banned your accounts yes so all the money was frozen all the money was frozen everything so I have about I think 18 to 20 grand stuck in PayPal, right? And everything's gone. And I'm like, I just have $5,000 in my bank account, cash, liquid for ads, right? Inventory, of course, we know that I've been given a bridge loan, basically. And and I'm like, it's gone. My business is gone. It's like, it's you know, it's it's that little glimmer of hope and it's all already gone down the drain and PayPal holds your funds for 180 days. So what'd you do? So, uh, got back on the horse, <laughs> launched another website. <laughs> <laughs> this time focusing on the US and spent the last every last time I had to to monetize the product again. Uh, you know, there, there is no linear path of entrepreneurship. Uh, you have to fail and, you know, and as, as we'll find out, I've failed more than a few times. Mm. So, you know, you've started many other brands. You said, you know, you've bought and acquired other brands. So you have like a, a group of brands. What, why? It's an aggregator strategy. Um, there, there's a couple of reasons. Point in case is this PayPal, PayPal uh, ban hammer being one. The second thing was in 2018, uh, I got the ban hammer from Google, Facebook, and uh, whatever other medium I was using all on the same day. So imagine you have this great company running, great washing machine, you know, you're, you're making money hand over fist, everything's going phenomenal. I've got about 30, 35 employees. And then one fine day, you know, you go from making like, say, you know, let's say, Twenty, thirty thousand dollars in revenue down to zero, and you have nothing, and you're like, I have a million and a half dollars in bills to pay, right? There's zero money coming in, the there's no ads, there's no nothing, and I'm like, what, what, what's going to happen? So that's when I said, look, we need to start divesting and diversifying everything, right? So we can't just be a hundred percent dependent on ads. We need to start looking at acquiring other brands which have diversification in terms of SEO, which have diversification in terms of affiliate marketing, which have diversifications in terms of, you know, even if we were to move websites from one to another, even if the main website goes down, we still have supplemental income coming in from the other websites, which was quite important. And that's sort of worked out for us in the long run. 
Yeah, wow. So that so what did you do? How, like, how did you recover from that one? <laughs> a lot of begging and a lot of calling people up. It's literally, I hit up every person I knew who had some contact within Google. I mean, they did eventually reverse the ban, but it was about three months in. And three months is like, you know, you've lost about, let's say, about a couple of million dollars in revenue. And I thought at that point in time, I'm going to be, you know, all these tech books I was reading, which was like, I'm going to be the captain of the ship. I'm going to go sink with the ship and go down with it, which I would not recommend to anyone in this day and age. The first chance you have, you have to have a plan ABC ready, which is basically you should be able to cut, you should be able to shrink and grow your team as or when your business grows. I think for me, that path was quite linear. I did not understand that aspect of it, which I understand a lot better. I'm happy to share it as well, um, you know. And in the meantime, it was just basically we had a we had a two million dollar loss that year. Yeah. So wow. you suck it up. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So let's talk about kind of this diversify like this diversification strategy because um, you know one thing that you've actually started to teach our team and I'm really interested in. I know a lot of people watching this would be is SEO. Like SEO is this kind of mystical thing that you know you don't really know who to trust, what to follow, what works, what doesn't. And, you know, you know, you showed me one of your brands, S-Keep, and it's growing really, really, really fast just off SEO. You've taught me the power of first-party data. Like, how did this come about? Yeah, I mean, a part, part of that whole, the, that whole situation was coming in through, you know, the Google Banhammer, and I said, look, we can't continue going down this path. This is, this is like literally you, you're so dependent. I mean, we are platform dependent in this day and age in e-commerce. Yep. No matter which way we end up, you know, you Amazon, Apple, Google, or Facebook are going to hold the purse strings. But at the end of the day, what you can do is you can switch to organic traffic, right? It's kind of like, you know, switching to like Facebook pages or uh, switching to like TikTok or something else and getting getting those visits. Uh, with Escape in particular, uh, what I was able to do was we came up with a content strategy and we... And, a part of it is also through networking and talking to people like yourself and talking to people like around the world. Uh, my sort of knowledge came from like this really cool SEO conference that happens in Chiang Mai every year oh. called the Chiang Mai SEO conference. Oh. And there's a lot of cool people there who I met, who I talked to, and I was able to actually learn from the experiences. Um, the, the hard and fast rule of SEO is quite simple, right? When people say content is king, they are, it's, it's actually right. Now, the thing is how you go about crafting your SEO strategy is all dependent on what what you want out of it, right? If you just, what Google is moving to today in SEO is quite interesting. They're moving to a no-click strategy, which is basically you'll, they show you structured snippets, they show you the map, and they show you the ads, and that's pretty much it, right? But the thing is, you can actually expand upon it. So you, can, you have to like look at your whole strategy in terms of top of funnel, mid funnel, bottom funnel. So similar to ads, right? Mm -hmm. So you say, well, let, let's see an example of watches, yeah. right? Um, when I'm in the market to research a new watch, what would I search for? I would I would search for best watches 2022, best watches review 2022, uh, best uh, you know cheap and cheerful watches, uh, quartz watches or something else like that, yeah, right? Yeah. Or watches under hundred dollars. Yeah. Right. Very exploratory questions. What you want to do is you want to sort of appear within that customer's radar. So average time for people to recognize your brand in this day and age, that touch point is not no longer eight to 10, it's no longer 10 to 15, it's about you know 18 to 25. It's, it's that sweet spot. That's the amount of times that people have to see before they have a brand recall of where you're gonna end up purchasing it. So, so that means they'll come to your website, they'll do the research, they'll read about you on a blog, they'll read about you on Reddit, which is an extremely powerful tool in terms of uh, reviews and everything else. 
and then they and then you know they're going they'll probably see your ad and then they're going to come back to your website so that top of funnel strategy of being up front of the customer is extremely important and when i talk about first party data within from an seo perspective is that this person is there they're researching your website what's what's the harm in retargeting them right what's the harm in reaching out to them give them an incentive to come back right give them a discount code give them something give them something to like you know when they're on that site to make 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 them believe that you are this one watch that they want at the end of the day mm. so has seo now been critical to all your different brands it is it's a very it's a very very important divestment strategy when i look at uh that like the thing is you have to look at what market you're in so i'm in different markets around the world right but i put all my eggs in the basket for the us yeah 80% of my revenue comes from the us yeah. there's no other market i would want to dominate more than the us market in just in terms of e-commerce why uh it's just simply just because of the scale that you have there china and there india and there india's india's you know people change their loyalty for dollars and cents um in 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 the us if you if you are a trustable brand if you're able to win the customer over people will come back and buy from you no matter what right there's a lot less hassle i'll give you my experience like i tried to launch in india i'm indian and i feel at it miserably <laughs> because Why? i think because i couldn't it's a, it's a loss loss scenario for me at the end of the day it's like literally where people want to pay like $100 for a watch but they accept the service of a rolex a $10000 watch and i said no thank you you know it's like it's you also have to look into what what matches the values or not and at some point in time to have the uh you know to have the sense or to have the uh, sort of boundary to say look appreciate your business but this isn't really for me is is fine because do you really want those headaches at the end of the day um there there are certain brands that have done very well in india and i think that that that's an interesting perspective too but when you're talking about the mystical part of seo which is like you know people say hey uh, you have to focus on organic traffic or you have to focus on seo like what does it actually mean i'll i'll, I'll put it down for you in in a, in a couple of simple words for this audience right SEO is basically anything that you're not going to do in a in a paid form, right? When you look at like stuff that is going to be helpful for the for the audience at the end of the day, it could be reviews, it could be research, it could be uh, comparisons, it could be uh, you know. So when you're looking at the discovery journey, that aspect and creating content around that is is quite important. So that top of funnel strategy is all SEO driven, right? uh people who show up from an SEO perspective could be your website it could be sites like reddit it could be sites like facebook it could be anything else so it's important to when you when you when you when you building your SEO strategy to be able to divest not only on google but it's also good to divest on on these other platforms as well because for lack of better word they will come up no matter what mm-hmm. right even if you're an amazon seller and people at the end of the day say hey you know i'm running amazon ppc i don't need organic traffic but do amazon sellers actually know that amazon rewards you for driving ppc traffic to to the amazon pages mm. it's quite interesting yeah so it is interesting because you think traditional e-commerce businesses you think social and you think paid you think wholesale but not many think seo really like that this is from my experience speaking to people but as time is going on like i was speaking to one of my friends he has an e-commerce store and he's like yeah i i started on the seo pathway about a year ago and he's like it's golden now like people are searching for my products and like you know it, it's really really interesting so i'm curious like do you believe that every e-commerce business needs to have some form of an seo strategy yeah you need to have diversification at the end of the day or you end up in my like i'm i'm a living breathing testament to that situation right 2018 ban hammer all of a sudden you're in a 2 million dollar loss situation it's like you don't want to end up there like there's no way you want to end up there so to and the thing is like an seo thing is 
the SEO strategy is something that's going to happen in the background, right? It's not instant gratification that, that you're looking for magic. It's not like you're going to put on 100 bucks or 200 bucks or 300 bucks and expect a sale immediately, yeah. right? It's something that even with SKP, when I'm saying, when I'm talking about the growth, it's two years and two million people, right? But this is like, it's very good to look at the end goal, but let's look at what's happened in the back, right? It's two years of every week uh, generating, uh, you know, six to eight articles, top of funnel articles. At some point in time, your research is going to run out. It's it's talking about generating two to three, you know, 20,000 word articles uh, every month, right? So it's the, the end goal sounds really good, which is like, you know, you, you've got two million uh, visitors at the end of the day, but it's also like the hard work that's happening at the, you know, and the growth. It's And it's a gradual growth. It's not going to go like, you know, from zero to 100, all of a sudden, it's it's going to go from zero to, you know, 5,000 to 10,000. Then gradually, when you see when you see the returns, you're like, holy hell, why am, why am I not doubling down on this? And then when people want to come searching, like there's months uh, where the SEO revenue of a company exceeds that of a paid revenue. Uh, yeah. Really? Yes. Wow. Yeah. It's just people who come and research and they end up buying. Like it's like all of a sudden it's just, it's just phenomenal. That's like free money, free traffic. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success. You should come and check out our new podcast, From Zero to Founder, hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in-the-trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. What's your framework? If you were to start over again tomorrow, what process would you follow for a new brand? Talk us through it. Okay. Uh, let's, let, let's take the example of watches again, right? So if I were to have another e-commerce brand, I think hiring a content writer, right? Doing my keyword research, having, having looked at some sort of a, let's say like a, like a hero brand. Yeah. So for for example, my hero brand would be Rolex or it could be like, you know, Chapek or something. Yeah, whatever it is, right? So I would take that and I would say, look, what is the SEO strategy? I would craft my SEO strategy similar to what they are doing, right? Rolex is a luxury brand. And let's say I'm launching, I'm launching a luxury watch market brand, right? Which, I, which means I want to target wholesale, I want to target retailers and I want to go after that. The secondary aspect I would look at, also, of, course, of course, paid ads, look at creative, look at everything else. But the main crux of that all is what is the look and feel? What is the customer service? What is the... What is the sort of customer experience I want to be giving to my uh, to my customer, mm. right? Um, it's that sort of that Zappos strategy of you know where people would call in to a Zappos line to uh, to say, hey, I want a pizza delivered to my dorm room, and people would actually from the Zappos customer service would actually do that and not charge the customer at the end of the day. You buying a hundred dollar pair of shoes, you don't expect a pizza delivery coming to your dorm room, but it happened, and that's what made that's what gave Zappos a very cult like following at the end of the day, right? Um, you know, moving, taking it back around to it from an SEO perspective. It's like when you're having your divestment strategy, it has to be 30, 30, 30, right? 30% on social, 30% on SEO, and 30% on, you know, uh, paid. 
and then you take the 10% and you invest whatever budget you had into customer service. Love it. So um, talk to me around kind of that content strategy. So you said have a content writer. Yeah. Like how many articles would you start putting out a week? You've got your, you know, you've got your research. Like, like yeah, to go from basically a thousand or a couple of thousand visitors a month to two million a month, like that's insane in a couple of years. Like that, that's next level. Yeah. Like I don't hear of many brands doing that. You guys got lucky. <laughs> no, but you're doing it all the time, right? You, like, you got a formula. Yeah. So, so is it like, let's, I'd love to delve a little deeper. Sure. Um, well, it depends on the niche, right? So, so this is a general framework uh, from that perspective. Like I, uh, I'm happy to, like every niche, Google would respond quite differently in terms of what, what that sweet spot is, right? My sweet spot that I would always recommend to anybody is, you gotta, you gotta hammer out about six to eight articles every week. Keep it, so to get a measure of how many words you wanna use, you wanna look at, let's say that Rolex example, right? If Rolex is banging out about a thousand word article, right? And they're only doing about two a week, I would bang out about four a week and I would do about 1500 word articles, right? Mm. So we're doing whatever Rolex does at a minimum, which is actually high, it's a, it's a Google trusted brand, people know about it, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. What you wanna do is you, you're kind of giving signals to Google, right? That I, I want to outrank Rolex, I wanna be more trusted than Rolex and the only way Google is gonna trust you, if you're consistent, Yes. right? Consistency is key. What people do is they'll write about two articles and they just give up, oh, I'm not seeing any like, anything coming up coming up in SEO. So, oh, this isn't working for us, okay, goodbye. But whereas if you do it consistently over a long period of time, Google's gonna say, wait a second, we're gonna index your new blogs here, we're gonna index your new content pages here, but guess what? All the stuff you've written over the last six months, we're gonna start indexing that too. And then all of a sudden it's like, that, that hockey stick growth will come from that perspective. So consistency, number one is key. Uh, looking at your closest competitor and looking at you know what sort of articles they're writing and what sort of that exploration uh, pathway they're taking is interesting. Another thing that not a lot, I keep mentioning Reddit because Reddit is quite interesting from that perspective. If you ever go into like the watches subreddit, right? People always ask questions about certain reviews or they ask questions about, you know, what do you, um, could be about a brand. It could be about, hey, I have a $5,000 budget. I'm on the market to look for a new mechanical watch. What do you recommend? So it's a really good place to go look for content ideas. And the thing about it is you can look at Ahrefs, you can look at SEMrush, you can look at all these other places, but here's something where your user feedback is coming in in real time. So you can actually use that to, to craft a, a really good content strategy. And the thing is like with, con with content planning and content writing, you can actually like have your whole calendar planned out within two weeks for the rest of the year. Yeah, I mean, of course you'll update it every three months, but the basic uh, stuff that you want, like the, the baseline, the foundation level, yeah, they won't change. The years may change, the the questions about certain you know niches or industry movements may change, but watches is such a you know it's interesting because watches will you will have three main movements you'll have quartz, automatic, and mechanical. And mechanical you can't really change much. The biggest example for changes will come in quartz watch. Mm -hmm. So the thirty 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 and then ten that was a really I love that thought. So you guys are still spending money on ads. Yep, but. You're still heavily investing in SEO, so you have always a diversified strategy with your brands. Correct. How do you work that out? <laughs> you want to know the truth? Yeah. Lots of, 
lots of mistakes, <laughs> lots and lots of mistakes, you know, money, I think there was a time that I think I, I flushed about 50 grand on the toilet and ads and thinking that something's going to work out, but it's not really going to work out. The other thing that a lot of people like to actually go down the, the wrong path of looking at it is, you know, with digital marketing, what we have been spoiled of at looking at the instant return of ROAS, right? So when you look at the ROAS and you look at that instant return and you're looking at all this other stuff, what people are looking at is like, what is the brand lift? What is your mother brand lift happening with certain strategies? So something that I've tested out over the last 30 days, which I actually kind of, like I'm happy to share this, is that we started running very targeted TV ads. TV ads? TV ads. TV ads in certain, in certain regions. And uh, bless America for the late night TV and the people who watch it. And we were able to actually give coupon codes on that. So kind of like influencers, right? Yeah. So you're giving out coupon codes, you're giving out all this stuff. And you're looking at the brand uplift of that, uh, of that measurement of this coupon code being redeemed on your website from the hours of, say, when TV is cheap, 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. And they're actually looking at how many searches in Google are happening. So always keep this mindset open for testing. Always keep this mindset open for looking at different things. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. One time a friend once said to me, you know, people have a short-sighted view on paid ads because, you know, you're still paying, even if you don't get a sale, you're still putting out a billboard for your brand. Correct. Right? And there's, people, there's, there's companies that pay for billboards while you're driving, right? Yeah. When you're running an ad, you're still looking for that return with this direct response mindset. And yeah, that's interesting for us. We we need to get bigger on like what is that split between direct response and brand? Because I think so often people are just looking at ads from an instant return. Yeah, you're looking at performance marketing, right? You've got your blinders on. Like, where's that macro view? Like, especially if you're looking at like what what is that ROAS that you're happy with? Like, for example, we don't look at two or three ROAS anymore. I'm happy with the 1.1 to 1.2 ROAS, which you know you'll you'll skill me for this. But I'm happy to do it because in the grand scheme of things, I know that in terms of the audience reach, in terms of, you know, the attention span and what customers have today, I am looking at growing that brand and getting more in front of more people. And what will happen is not in month number one, but number two, three, four, people are going to come in and connect, you know, convert in organic, direct and other channels. Yeah, got you. Um, we have to work towards wrapping up, but can you tell us about first party data? Something you taught me. Yeah, so that's an interesting one, you know, with the, well, I had mentioned before, you know, with the with the advent of iOS 14, you know, and the one year anniversary and 14.5 and 15. The thing is like that there is no time in our lives as digital marketers that this is this, this is this is kind of the crux of the whole situation is like using email, using SMS, using like first party cookie capture is going to be more important than anything else ever, right? How, if a person's coming to your website, like you're giving that example of a billboard, they've seen your billboard. In fact, they are on your website. Why are you not giving them that opportunity to convert there and then, give them a lead lead magnet to capture the email? Like try and get get that, you know, get get the customer roped in, make them fall in love with your brand. It could not necessarily be through discounts, it could be somewhere other. And a good example of that is this website that I like browsing called MyObvi, which, which basically makes collagen powder. Which yeah, and I see them on Twitter. I see correct. them on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. and they've done a phenomenal job of it, right? Like once you go to the website, they'll either offer you a discount, they'll offer you some some helpful tips, or they'll you know they'll happy to mail you a free sample of the packages, like sample packets, man, in the mail. Um, they'll they'll take loss on that first sale, but once they get you in that funnel, it's phenomenal, right? So your your first party data is more important because you actually own it. GA four is moving towards your first party data. Google Ads moving towards your first party data. 
it's it's that same thing of where every major platform that you're on, they want to become siloed with the data. They don't want to share it. The Amazon Amazon was the first in the game. They have they are the masters of the first party data. They never share the data off that platform. They said if you want that first party data, please use Amazon DSP. Yeah. Right? Apple now is launching their own DSP, which is when news about from two days ago, which is basically if you want to advertise on Apple, you've got to use our ecosystem, right? Facebook's gonna do the same, so it's Google. So, you know, that whole thing of like cross-channel attribution and everything else, it's gone. Like it's, it's changed. Like I give it a year, it's, it's not going to be the same. So you best be prepared. You best be upfront about it. Make your customer match lists. Make sure that you have, you know, uh, custom lists built in Google and everything else so, so that you can actually use your email list, craft something around your email list, similar audiences, and be able to target that. You do it in Facebook ads. You do it in Google ads. Apple's not going to allow it, man. It's, yeah, the, the, those days of like, you know, putting in, when I'm talking about 10 years ago, of putting in five grand and being able to survive that business, I won't be able to survive that today. I guarantee you. Like, it's like... Yeah, so um, really what you're saying is is having a longer view approach to yep. driving customer acquisition, using things like SEO as a top of funnel, discovery, people find you, and knowing that people will come back and potentially buy in the Correct. future. It's a yeah. billboard thing. It's like yeah. that attention span, you want to grip. And remember, 18 to 25 that's that magic number that we found for us. It might differ for other people, right? Um, I'd love to talk about switching gears on burnout. You said you've experienced burnout as a founder. What's your view on that? How did you recover? And what's your view on hustle culture? Yeah, oh, thank you. I really appreciate you asking me this question because I think that there's a, there's a lot of tech bro books talk, uh, that, that are out there, right? There's a lot of uh, tech bros in general. It's like, you know, zero to one, man, I'm Peter Thiel and I've, you know, I've been able to change my life. Oh, I'm Elon Musk, you know. Elon Musk did so-and-so. Steve Jobs did so-and-so. But, but what people don't understand at the end of the day is like, it's okay, you're human. Um, my, my first burnout came in when I was John, right? The customer service agent. And I was running about, I was wearing about six different hats in my business. Uh, mental health isn't really talked about much. Uh, female or male founders. And the only way I knew and to delay this burnout was drink and drink till oblivion. Um, yeah, I, I gave up drinking about two and a half years ago for that, for that very fact. Because, I, you know, I found uh, that I needed, I needed help and I asked for help at the end of the day. So I have no, no issues discussing that, you know, once in a while I'll seek out therapy, which is every, once every three months. And it's, it's a healthy way of dealing with it. You need to talk to someone. You can't really look at somebody like like myself or yourself who are like 10 to 15 years into the journey and expect to be, you know, like Nathan Chan, right? Overnight and you're looking at, you know, like uh, it's, it's that imposter, imposter syndrome. And that's, and the world and these books and everything else makes us believe that these are the people we aspire to be. But the, the journey that we have been through and everything else is, is, it's not linear, it's a roller coaster. And, um, yeah, I'm grateful that uh, you have given me this opportunity uh, to to answer this question. So, do you think that burnout is a rite of passage to be a founder? Like, <laughs> well, my personality is all in or all out. So, I mean, for me, I would say, yeah, it worked for me. But for some people, it's a marathon. Entrepreneurship is is a marathon. It's a, it's a marathon for sure, right? It's. Uh, you, you have to you have to get your boots on and you have to you know run for about you know 5 10 15 20 years and uh, not 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 many people are ready to make that right 
because most most likely most entrepreneurs they will face burnout within the first three to six months, and chances are they'll give up and go back to their nine to five jobs. So, so you know, you stop drinking, you start seeking help. Could you still work, or, or were you crippled from work? Or no, or? man, I was I was good to work. Like that, work never stops. I work seven days a week. My 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 grounding exercise is actually hitting the gym every day, yeah. hitting the gym or going spin or cycling. Yeah. yeah. So it's like uh, every day, no matter where I'm in the world, I need even airports. I need I need to find a gym, and that's and that is my one sort of uh, grounding moment. It's one hour. I'm disconnected from the world. I got Malcolm Gladwell in my ears, you know, listening to Revisionist History, which is a phenomenal podcast as well. And then, you know, that's it's it's up and up from there. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing and being an open man. Yeah. Um, we're going to move to the hot seat round. Sure. Uh, rapid fire questions. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Never given. That's from my mum. <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, you know, it's it's funny. Uh, there's there's a my boarding school I went to had the same logo. Uh, that same model. Uh, my my mom told me the same thing. So when 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 I started as an entrepreneur, and you know you you've heard about the roller coaster journey, and that there were times in my life that I said, this is not possible. My first time was when I had only five grand left in bank account, PayPal banned everything, and my mom said, don't worry about it, just don't give in. And I and that point I was like, you don't know the shoes I'm in. Like what are you what are you pretending to be? She's like, just don't give it. Just stick just stick to it, right? So. Uh, to have that sort of soul focus and to have that long-term view and keep going at what you're doing is is extremely, extremely important. 80%, 90% of people, I would say even 95% of the people tend to tend to give up that, that first adversity that they get. Every adversity, you can climb, you can find your way out of. Google banned my accounts, I found a way out of it. Facebook banned my accounts, I found a way out of it. Every, every challenge, there's a way to meander it. I won't say you can over, it's not a hill, but there's a way to meander it. What's something you think founders should do more of? Seek therapy. Seek therapy and look for help. Like we don't, we don't, we don't really end up discussing, uh, uh, you know, feelings and everything else because we, we, you know, society in general says, oh, you are X, Y, Z, and this is the position or epitome that you have to be, and you have to be this persona. But nobody says, you know, you can just be a gentler sort of a more uh, nurturing person as well. What's the best book you've ever read? Ha, huh. that's an interesting one. Um, there's a few, but the one, the, the one I would say that sort of had the most impact in my, in my life uh, for me would probably be the, the Steve Jobs book, believe it or not. Mm. It, it's, quite, it's, quite, it's quite interesting and, and that anecdote of how he hustled his own co-founder, Steve Wozniak, <laughs> to build the code for a game and basically never told him how much he got paid. Because mm. I think he got paid, like yeah, that, that, that's a famous job. anecdote yeah, of yeah. how much he got paid and he, gave only, he only gave Steve Wozniak about five grand. I was like, this guy, he knows what he's doing. But it was, it was interesting. Like I look back at it very fondly, but would I, would I follow that book? Nah, probably not. What's something you've learned today? What's something I've learned today? Well, I was in uh, I was in Uber uh, Uber ride over with uh, with a fellow from South Africa, and and he told me that Zimbabwe in the 1970s was the breadbasket of Africa, Ooh. which is quite interesting. There you go. Last question: If you could have dinner with any entrepreneur, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Oh, you've put me on a spot here. Ah, oh, probably my granddad, man. Like it's uh, it's it's weird. Like my my uh, my granddad was he's quite 
a resilient man. He's he's seen he's seen a depression. He's seen uh, a few famines in India, and he was able to bring up eight brothers and sisters through it. And uh, for me, there was nothing more entrepreneurial than that to 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 bring up his parents and eight brothers and sisters in the seventies when you know there was a food shortage going around as well. So yeah, wow, quite interesting. Awesome. Well, Ronnie, thanks so much for taking the time, man. It's so great to do these interviews in the studio. And uh, congratulations on all of your success. Um, uh, I'm really excited to see where it goes next. And uh, yeah, we're going to get your help on the SEO side. And thank you so much. I appreciate it, mate. Thank you. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in-depth on teaching a particular topic And I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.